Hey everybody, Dave Hodges here, host of the Common Sense Show. Welcome to our guest segment. As you know, we're the show that's freeing America one enslaved mind at a time. And this is All-Star Week here on the Common Sense Show. You're saying, Dave, you've had some great interviews. Celeste, Steve Quayle, that's going crazy. And and uh, your uh, federal law enforcement agent source. And you say, man, what could you do to top this? Well, we're going to give it a try today. We have Mike Adams with us. And Mike recently wrote a tremendous article and analysis of how America is a failed state. Now, listen, ladies and gentlemen, as a basketball coach, I have to tell you, I've been down 25 points going into the fourth quarter as a coach and have won. So we might be able to turn this around. So don't think this is all doom and gloom. But before we can fix anything, we have to look at what people like Mike Adams is saying. And what he's saying is right. We are falling short of where we need to be. And we're getting our butts kicked badly by low IQ, low lives and we need to just call it like it is these are terrorists and we're laying down and acquiescing to these punks and mark mike adams like i said is here to talk to us about it before we go to mike i need to pay a couple of bills because there are people that actually keep the lights on even though the nsa is doing their best to turn our lights off anyway we're brought to you by the best durable food company in the world mps you know you need food water guns gold ammo medicine and tools to get through this instability and what the government has planned and you know food's going to be used as a weapon we see all the signs food inflation's here my wife has been quoted on meat purchases so has my sister listen don't take any more chances with your family's future go to preparewithdave.com and take advantage of the 40 percent off the four-week emergency package and people are buying multiple packages because the price is incredible now, it's absolutely the best that you're going to find we had one gentleman three weeks ago buy 60 packages that's right and I, I don't know if everyone can afford to do that but you need to be buying as much as you can buy because there's going to come a time when you're not going to be able to buy anything also we are brought to you by water uh, water what water filtration in emergency crisis water can go by the wayside people might not man the plants you may not be able to drink what's coming out of the tap water maybe it's been poisoned it's been polluted so what do you have to do you need to find standing water that's not drinkable and turn it into drinkable water and we have the best water filtration system the aquapure pro water filter and the research that validates that claim is at waterwithdave.com and also they're offering a 40% sale. So you have preparewithdave.com for the food. You have waterwithdave.com for the water filtration. And now we have Mike Adams with Dave. And we're going to get into some really tough subjects. And I'm warning you, this interview is not going to be for the faint of heart. Mike, welcome to the show. We're so glad you could be with us. And boy, there's certainly, as I like to say, nothing to talk about these days, is there? No, nothing at all. Thanks, thanks for having me on. It's always great to join you. And oh, oh my God, oh my God, there's two nooses on my feet. Someone put two nooses on my... Oh, wait a minute. They're just shoelaces. I'm sorry. False alarm. I've been bubbified. I'm sorry. Bubbified. Oh, I love that. I love that term, bubbified. Yes, in reference to the NASCAR, Jesse Smollett, who launched a fake racial attack upon himself. Shame on this guy for doing that. When we're in an era where we should be trying to come together and find common solutions to our common problems instead of tearing each other apart. You know something, Mike... It's funny, you know, coming through the ranks 
in basketball, uh, having been a high school coach, a college coach, and then working in the NBA for a couple of years. The one thing that I'll, I'll tell you is, is if you don't get along with black people, you don't survive in that profession. And one of the things that I have had conversations about with my friends who happen to be black is they'll tell you, Dave, we don't want this crap. This is crazy. This is nonsense. Right. We just need right. to have some dialogue about police rules and, and lethal use of force and that kind of thing. And it, we don't want cities burned down. I mean, I, I, I haven't talked to a black person who thinks that this is okay. Not no, one. Um, same, same here as well. But what this shows is the, the psychological impact of the programming is so strong that there is mass hysteria where there are there's now actual hallucinations where people think that they're seeing nooses all over society. There was an incident where there were some exercise ropes in a tree in California that a guy had put there. I think a black guy was who was using them as, you know, exercise and pull-ups and everything, and that was investigated as a hate crime. Right? Oh, my gosh. And then, you know, a pull-down strap on a garage door is is now a noose. And there, there were many, many other cases of this. But the point is, Dave, there, there are... In society, there are things that are what are called positive hallucinations and then negative hallucinations. And this is well known in NLP. So a positive hallucination is when you hallucinate things that aren't there, but you think they are there, like the Russia collusion hoax, for example, or nooses all over the place. A negative hallucination is just as powerful and, and dangerous, is that they get you to not see things that are there. So when, when you're looking at, if I say the word looting, who's doing the looting in America? Most people think, oh, it's Black Lives Matter, it's Antifa. No, it's the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve is looting more than any Black Lives Matter terrorist. But you're not able to see it because there's a negative hallucination where you, you don't focus on that. So we have both of these types of hallucinations. Basically, the most of the country is literally hypnotized through a social engineering program. I know you're aware of this and so are your listeners, but I just want to remind people that it's so powerful that some people are now literally thinking they're seeing nooses all over society. Well, it's kind of like laying on your back and looking at the clouds in the sky, and then you see Snoopy, and you see Peanuts, and all the other characters, but now <laughs> instead of those people that we used to see as kids in the park, now we're seeing instruments of racial oppression. It's just incredible how the imagination runs wild, and it's courtesy, too, of the mainstream media. Yeah, and it's a it's a giant Rorschach test. Yeah, exactly. And it, there's all kinds of anchoring that goes with this, too. So so, for example, if I, you know, five years ago, if I said the word orange, uh, people would think it's a fruit. Today, I say orange and the left goes insane because they think of Trump. J just the word orange is a trigger word now, you know, or, you know, orange mad, orange man bad. But I'm telling you this, the more I look around at what's happening, Dave, it, it's it's that there is massive hypnosis and programming taking place that is whipping people up into this attempted uh, left wing revolution. So that's why sanity doesn't work. That's why rationality and reason doesn't work. That's why you can spout and I can spout all the facts and data in the world. It doesn't matter because if a person is hypnotized, they're already blocking out reality. So facts don't interfere. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I, I'll give you an example. Conversation I had with a, a gentleman, and I coached his son, um, who went on to be a great basketball player. I'm going to leave the name out of it out of courtesy. But I've been friends with this man for 25 years, and we frequently get together, breakfast, lunch, dinner, go to sporting events. And, and we talked about this issue. 
And he said, the, the, he said, the hysteria is ridiculous. He said, although there are people that legitimately fear, you know, what is it, driving, what is it called? Guilty of driving, driving while black. black. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the only thing you brought up to me. But he said, you know, the vast majority of people I deal with are not this way. And, and he said, and he said, we're going to tear our country apart. And, and, and so there are people here that say, okay, I have a concern here. Okay, we could deal with these concerns as a society and deal with them in a civilized way and have dialogue and then maybe make some reforms. But what I'm not hearing anyone say is they want society torn down. Where is the tearing down part coming from? <laughs> yeah, well, of course, as you know, they want to bring in a whole new kind of left-wing communist uh, society, so they have to tear down this one and destroy all our history and culture. But, you know, uh, about driving while black, I'd like to comment on that. Uh, police do profile vehicles, but the worst thing is driving while poor. Because if you have a poorly maintained vehicle, uh, police are well aware that you might be involved in drugs. And frankly, I mean, I know a lot of cops and cops that have done highway patrol and cops that have been, you know, regular street cops and whatever. They do a lot more profiling of poorly maintained vehicles, which tend to result in felony arrest for drug possession. So there is, there is, however, driving while black in a Mercedes. That, that's a, that's a whole different, uh, you know, discrimination by cops. And that is real. Then that's when they think, okay, this person has too much money. Right. And, and that's discriminatory. So that does exist, but by far driving while poor, even, you know, a poor white person in a poorly maintained vehicle, you're going to get pulled over more than a middle-class black person in a minivan, for sure. Yeah, and and uh, but you did mention a couple of instances of profiling, and see, that's where the dialogue needs to be in the training. Um, and 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 it's just to me, it's it's not hard to fix this. I look at where society was in the history books prior to Martin Luther King, and then he had his sit-down strikes, and he had his famous speech in D.C. I have a dream speech. Then you look at all the reforms that were passed, and you look at all the advancements that have happened, and the fact that Trump achieved until COVID came along the lowest black unemployment rates ever in American right. history, along with significant wage gains and yet he's still called a racist and I'm thinking I don't get it he's opened a mentor training programs in inner cities to help people of color and yet he's a racist I mean it's like are people this stupid but that's it's always a leverage point that they can use to divide America and you know the the big picture here is that if the people were united and not fighting with each other, the people would realize that their common enemy is the deep state and the globalists and the central banks, you know, and the big pharma corporations and all of that. And that that's what this is really all about, is distracting people from the real enemies, which are the people that run the world. So what the real enemies are doing as they own the media is making sure that the enslaved masses are fighting and bickering with each other rather than uniting in opposition to the real enemies of humanity. That is such a good point. Because can you imagine if the racial division in this country would disappear, both the artificially contrived and the real, and if it went away and we started looking, okay, what are our real problems? Oh, it's these communists, these globalists that are running our government. Can yeah. You, and if we joined forces, can you imagine what changes we could make? See, if, if I had a magic wand that worked... 
I, I've tried lots of them. None of them work for some reason. But if I had one that worked, I, I would make everybody in the world have the exact same skin color. It'd be like a, like a mocha. <laughs> like we'd all be mocha colored. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, there could be no more division based on skin color. And you'd have to start finding out what do people believe. You know, and then then it becomes a real debate about okay, are you are you a communist? Are you socialist? Or do you prefer a merit-based society? You know, what 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 are your belief systems? They could no longer just judge people by the color of their skin. They could no longer say, you know, kill white people or all white people are bad or white babies are born bad or white Jesus needs to be destroyed, which is the new one from the left. I don't think Jesus was white, by the way. So that's just I don't know where they're getting that. But uh, I think Jesus was more mocha, probably. Probably, frankly, you know what I mean? More Middle Eastern skin color as far as the, the Bible goes, right? So, <laughs> in any case, th- that's my mocha solution for the world. How about that? Well, I like it, but I, I think then we'd get into uh, height prejudice or weight prejudice. <laughs> so, I mean, right. the, the media, the globalist media would find a way to separate people along some kind of lines. You're um, right. If it wasn't racial. Because, you know, let's not forget that six corporations owe 90 percent of the media and they're all dedicated to the overthrow of the United States government and the establishment of a new world order indeed they are and and they are they are very very close to pulling it off and I you know in your introduction you mentioned that sometimes we can come back from behind and we can we can win and I, I do still hold out some hope for that but things are looking very very dark right now I would agree um, I, I talked to Sheriff Mack uh, yesterday at some length and uh, he sees an extreme uphill battle. I know Celeste Salam, uh, former FEMA official that we both interviewed, sees a extreme uphill battle. I asked Steve Quayle in an interview last night, Steve, do you think we're going to come back from this? And he said, no. So there's always a chance, but I don't, I don't see it. Um, you wrote an article called uh, America's a Failed State. Can you get into some of the key reasons why you think America's a failed state and what might prevent us from from coming back? Well, sure. And and the big realization from that article is that we got here little by little in a way, you know, the, the boiling frog syndrome. Mm-hmm. Most people didn't realize how deeply we had already gotten into this failure. You know, we're beyond the tipping point. But it only happened little by little. So where we are today is we have a failed market. There really are no fully functioning markets in America today. The market, the, the mainstream, you know, Wall Street market is really really just driven by money printing. So what it, whatever the Fed does, lowering interest rates or creating fiat currency, that's what drives the market. There's no more uh, price discovery, no more rational investment decisions that can be made in these markets. You're just chasing the Fed's policy. That's not a free market system. That's not even capitalism. So that's not functioning. The justice system isn't functioning. Look at this corrupt judge that the DOJ ordered to drop the Michael Flynn case. And this judge is saying, I don't want to drop it. I'm going to hire an investigator. I'm going to delay, whatever. Michael Flynn is innocent. It's these corrupt judges that should be charged with treason, frankly. The justice system in you know in the federal courts is absolutely broken. No matter what the DOJ does, the, the individual uh, court judges are corrupt. And the education system is broken. Universities are churning out, you know, cry bullies and victim experts. Uh, and by the way, this whole situation in Seattle, Chaz, this is just... 
the, the extension of what these people were taught in college. Remember when, for example, the black students got together, and I think it was in Washington State, and they seized one of the student union buildings. This was like five years ago. They seized the building, and they demanded uh, improved grades and uh, no, no difficult testing for black students, and the university caved in. Well, those students learned a lesson. Seize territory, make demands, and you will get what you want. That's the education they got. So after they graduated from college, they go and start seizing Seattle. That and was, then uh, the, that was the, Evergreen University. Evergreen, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember it well. I covered it. There was another element too. There was a white professor, and and uh, the black students made a demand of him for differential grading, and he right. said, "No, you're all going to be treated the same way. You're all equal in my eyes, and you'll all be graded." The, and he said, "If you have a problem with my grading, come and talk to me. But you're all going to be graded on the same standards." And I'm thinking, okay, I don't see a problem with that. And yet this man ended up losing his job because he wouldn't acquiesce. That's exactly right. You see, it's no longer that these leftists are demanding equality. Remember when they used to have the bumper stickers that said coexist? Well, now their bumper stickers should say kill Whitey and F Trump supporters. You know, um, it's intolerance. It's a lack of diversity. It's actually a demand for obedience and preferential treatment based on the color of your skin. What they're essentially saying is that they demand black privilege while they're claiming that the world is run by white privilege. Uh, I've actually take a, taken a pretty independent, honest look around and Let's see, you know, people with dark skin color are given extra bonus points to get into colleges, access to more student loans, access to uh, higher positions and raises in, in police departments. Have you ever seen a white police chief in a city <laughs> that, you know, it, that, that has any portion of uh, black residents? No, you have to be black to get those jobs in policing and so on. So there is actually black privilege in our society today. and But you're not allowed to say that. You know, because there's nooses everywhere that aren't nooses. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, th this is the insanity of the world. So, like you, I demand true equal justice, equal treatment. I treat people equally regardless of their skin color. And I don't give preference to someone who's white or black or Latino. You're all treated the same. I actually make the same demands of them as I make of myself. That's it. Well, that's kind of how I operate too, and 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 honestly, most human beings respond to being treated with dignity and respect. This is why I go through my regular day, Mike. I don't encounter this; I see it on the news, and and I and I know if I were probably in different environments, I would I would feel the pressures of this. But even in my professional environments, I've worked in because I'm I'm a recently retired instructor. I never had those kind of demands put on me. I was commanded to treat every student equally and grade them fairly and handle their needs as individuals. That's all that was ever demanded of me by my administrators. That's and right. And I've never had to encounter this, I, but I know yet Evergreen University happened and I know it's beginning to happen around the country. And, and honestly too, what people aren't realizing is when they ask for these kind of special privileges, would you please let me get by with a B when really my work was a D and they're cheating <laughs> themselves because they're producing within themselves a less quality product. Well, right. And and you and I both have a history um, in, in sports. And, and my involvement is, for example, I ran track for four years when I was in high school. And so I did a lot of high school sports. And 
uh, in where I went to school, we had maybe a third of our team was uh, black students, and the other two thirds were mostly white and some some Latino people. But it was all a merit-based system. I mean, our coach taught us, and I know you've coached a lot of people. I think this is your philosophy too: is that when you're running track or you're playing basketball, it is a merit-based system. If you're the fastest hundred-meter runner, you get the fourth leg of the 400-meter relay. Why? Because you're going to win for the team. So the team roots for that person who, on our team, happened to be a black guy, blazing fast. We wanted him to win because it was all for the team. It wasn't like, oh, you you can't have the baton because you're black. No, it's like, please take this baton, run it across the finish line because, you know, us white boys actually are a little slower than you. So, (laughs) you know, we were happy to have black competitors on our team because they were very good, but it was a merit-based system. There was another guy, uh, a black guy on our team, who was lazy, didn't do the workouts, ended up quitting. He's gone. He's off the team. Because if you don't do the work, you don't get the job. End of story. Exactly. And if you don't prepare yourself properly, you're not going to succeed. That's right. And and, and I wouldn't want to be in a system. You know, I look back to my, my days in various graduate schools. I didn't want to have special privilege because I was trying to achieve something so I could be something. I didn't want to take the easy way. And the same thing is true in sports training. Why would you want an easy regime that's going to cause you to perform at a lower level? It's self-defeating. Well, yeah. I mean, imagine imagine if every uh, track coach in every high school and college across America said, okay, we're going to we're going to pick only black people for these track competitions, even if they're slower than the white people. That would be insane because it's supposed to be a merit-based system, right? right. You, you, you compete with the fastest person, regardless of their skin color. But imagine if that were the case. That's what's happening across society now with demands for reparations and demands for you know, all these extra privileges for, uh, in, in, in essence, these left-wing terrorist groups who are hiding behind skin color as a way to make demands on society. And the, the real issue here is that supposed leaders like mayors and governors are not standing up to this and saying no to these childlike demands. I mean, these are children in terms of their mentality. This is like what a fifth grader does is demand something for nothing. No, grow up. You're in the the adult world. You earn your way into influence. Or you want to control six city blocks, you know, invent something, become a billionaire and buy the property in the free market. You don't just seize it. You have to own it. You have to buy it. So these lessons that should have been taught in grade school and high school and college are now still not being taught in the adult world. That's the problem. Well, interesting. You said a trigger word for me there, and that's reparations. Look, at I, I know how I conduct my personal affairs. I know what's in my heart. And I know the friends I have. And I'll tell you this, Mike, the day the government says to me, you have to pay reparations and they convict me of a civil offense I did not commit. That's the day I stop paying all my taxes. Yeah, exactly. I'm not kidding. I will not submit to this. Um, You know, I, I have acquiesced on affirmative action programs. I mean, in one sense, I see value towards moving a certain segment of the population forward that's lagged behind in some areas. But on the other side, too, it is inherently unfair. Well, of course, and it's it's a race-based discrimination. That's, that's what 
you know, reparations would be. And exactly. by the way, it's impossible to decide. And I've said this before, you know, as a scientist, if you look at anthropology, all of our ancestors came from Africa, every one of us, if you go back enough generations. So frankly, we're all African-Americans, I know. myself included. So how do you know, if you're going to go back six generations or eight generations, why not go back 5,000 generations? You know, wh when does it end? What are the sins of your ancestors no longer uh, apply to you in the present day? If we're going to say that you're guilty for inheriting the sins of your ancestors, I guarantee you, every person living today has an ancestor who was a rapist, a murderer, a racist, a slave owner, a slave seller, a slave. Some, there's, there's a lot of evil in human history. Everybody's got some ancestor like that. So, well, we're all guilty, right? So then what's the point of reparations? <laughs> it's yeah, insane. Yes, but, but the point is, it creates the divide and conquer mentality again. And that's that's the point. Um, you know, and here's another aspect on what's going on today that's very disturbing. Uh, one of the two Atlanta police officers who was involved in the shooting of Richard Brooks, who seized a weapon off a cop's weapon belt. And it's not for me to decide if this is in policy. I, I couldn't be the judge of that. Um, I've had DHS people look at this. I had an FBI guy look at the tape. They told me they thought the shooting was within their department guidelines. Okay, now that aside, what's happened now is one of the officers, stepmother, who was an HR person for a home equity firm, got fired because of who her stepson was. And he was one of the that. officers. Yeah. Uh, and now in the UK, I saw where a guy who hung a sign over a soccer match that said white lives matter too, uh, his girlfriend got fired. Wow. Now, where does right. this end where if someone commits an act in someone's mind that's objectionable or illegal, that we punish their relatives? I mean, what's this about? Well, this this really is part of the um, you know the Bolshevik Revolution and Maoist Cultural Revolution. It's it's not only murdering you but murdering your family. That's what happened throughout history. They had to take you out and take out your family members as well. So, this is guilt by association. And you're right. Where does it end? Uh, in, in fact, someone who posts a sign, let's say they they post a sign, all lives matter. Is that not? the uh, uh, synonymous with the coexist bumper stickers that liberals used to have on their cars. You know, uh, all lives matter. It's a universal statement of human dignity. You could even see Martin Luther King saying that back in his day. All lives matter. He did say it in his own words. Right, he did. He said, we want sure. to judge all people, not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He was referring to everybody. Right. But you, you see, as this has morphed, it's no longer about equal representation or equal dignity or even equal opportunity. It's now about punishing and humiliating your political enemies. So those on the left, they demand that white people kneel down, kneel to them as if they were conquerors who have conquered a people. Uh, kneeling is a surrender to your conquerors. And you have white people giving in, surrendering to this, and kneeling down and polishing the the boots of rap artists, and you have cops kneeling down, the FBI kneeling down before uh, Black Lives Matter. So th these are symbols, these powerful psychological symbols of surrender to a conqueror. We have been conquered 
by Black Lives Matter. That's the symbolism that they're trying to push. This is all operating at the level of psychology and, and social engineering. You know, the symbolism is part of it. Well, it absolutely is. It is part of it. And you're absolutely right, too, about we must wipe out the families. And this is what we're beginning to see. Attack the families mentality. And that's the Bolshevik way, because when the Bolsheviks came to power, they didn't just kill their opposition. They killed their opposition's family, friends and acquaintances. That's right. That's exactly right. And and by the way, the, the, the joke is on Black Lives Matter, because actually it's the black lives that are the number one target of the coming vaccine. So you saw Bill and Melinda Gates out there talking about, oh, we got to have the vaccine first for black people. And, Why? And then, you know, what's the reason? Well, you know, the real reason. Well, I know. About, I, I know. Yeah. I know Gates. But, but yeah. how are they trying to sell this? That sounds prejudicial just off in this, on its face. No. Well, they're saying that the virus is disproportionately harming African-Americans. And so, therefore, the vaccine needs to be given to them first as a kind of a generous way to to equalize the deaths, I guess. But but the joke, again, is on Black Lives Matter because these vaccines are not medicine. They're basically euthanasia shots and it's it's black people that I mean Bill Gates has been operating in Africa with depopulation technologies you know to to cause infertility in males and females and spiking the vaccines to cause spontaneous abortions and everything vaccines have for for at least a generation been the vector of depopulation so of course they're gonna say they need black people to have them first that's who they want to get rid of well, when you go back and look at depopulation quotes, um, and I've seen plenty of reference from globalists that have made anti-black statements. There's no question. Oh, yeah. Often, often like what was it, uh, Margaret Sanger, uh, the founder of Planned Parenthood and, the, and that radical movement, she said the last thing we need are uh, radical degenerates to reproduce themselves. And she was referring to black people. Well, think about where the globalists are trying to take the planet over the next 20 years even, which is a pretty short-term timescale for them. But they've got automation. Uh, Celeste talks about this, right? The rise of automation, the robot revolution. They are no longer going to need about 70% of the human labor force within 10 to 20 years. So that means that a huge number of even Americans are going to be uh, unable to be employed because those are their main skills, which is labor, everything from picking crops to sweeping floors, light manufacturing, order fulfillment at Amazon centers, and so on. All those people are going to be unemployed. Now, what's going to happen is you'll have a huge explosion of unemployment and destitution, especially in the inner cities. And the globalists have figured out that eventually, I mean, they can't just keep paying entitlements and paying the rent and paying the food of all these people all over the world. The globalists have realized they want them dead. And that's how they're going to bring in the robot revolution is to kill off that class of people who are replaced by automation. And so one of the ways to do that is through vaccines. And the other way is through the food supply, by the way, which you've covered quite a lot. Yeah. One of the things I've also seen, Mike, is um, black activists who are conservative who are saying things like uh, the real uh, advocates for black genocide is Planned Parenthood. It's not the U.S. government. That's right. 
That's right. Well, in yeah, fact, look at the history. Yeah, Muhammad Ali's son came out two days ago and said if his father were alive today, he'd tell the bigots uh, talking about white privilege to shut up and he'd vote for uh, Trump. Did you see that? I did see that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really interesting how what were considered classical Democrats. Now, those values are now almost completely uh, gone from the new radical extremist umbrella of the Democrat Party. I mean, even Joe Biden is almost too conservative for Democrats now. Imagine that. I know. But you know, this where this came from. I don't know if you followed this or not, but. When I looked into Ocasio-Cortez and her rise from wet t-shirt contests and bars to being a U.S. congressperson, I said, how the hell does this happen? Well, I found a group called the Justice Democrats, and they were ex-Bernie Sanders people that the globalists moved into position and funded them and said, find us Democrats who are extremely radical, like climate change radical, race relations radical, and put them in positions where they can upset Democratic incumbents in the primaries so we can get more of an extremist viewpoint because the goal is revolution, right? right? So how this Maoist revolution started, this Bolshevik revolution, was from these justice Democrats. And we're seeing Ocasio-Cortez, Omar, you know, the group they call the squad, they're all products of this kind of recruitment. They held casting calls and they said, yeah, well, you're the kind of person that we want. Were you aware of this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm fully aware of that. And they've done that in other cities, and they they have a lot more candidates that are going to be challenging Democrats in primaries. And you're right. It's all about getting an extreme radical voice and moving the entire Democrat Party to the left. But this is why so many people are leaving the Democrat Party now, you know, the walk away movement and so on, including a lot of black Americans leaving the, the Democrat Party. And maybe they're becoming independent. Some some are becoming conservatives and Republicans and so on. But the Democrats, in order to if, if you really want to call yourself a Democrat today, you have to be in favor of murdering cops. You have to be in favor of killing babies after they're born. You have to be in favor of communism. And frankly, those just those three things alone are really not supported across most of America, and despite what the media tries to make it look like. Yeah, I agree. But American politicians have been um, intimidated into absolute capitulation and silence to this radical agenda. They have. They have indeed. Uh, in fact, I want to mention there's a book series from six years ago that is playing out right now. Have you read the books or listened to the audiobooks called 299 Days? Yes, I, I did when it first came out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's authored by Glenn Tate and the audiobooks read by Kevin Pierce, who's a great narrator. And I had I had listened to the series back you know, years ago as well. I got that out recently, started listening to it again. It's like a prophecy of what's happening right now. I mean, Glenn Tate saw the future. He's like the Nostradamus of uh, collapse fiction. It's crazy. You should listen to the book again or read it again, because what he's describing, I, I just couldn't believe it. Page after page, it's exactly what's happening. And the the acquiescence to the tyranny, you know, the, the deep corruption of, uh, of bureaucracy and in fact, that book is set in Seattle and, and Washington State. And 
that's where the corruption is the worst. That's where all the all the governors and mayors are, are giving in to the radical left wing terrorists. And it's just it's like I mean, it was six years ago. I forgot about it, but it's like he he was seeing the future. Um, but I don't think he's uh, psychic. What I think this where this comes from, I, I, I did an analysis once of um, rules for radicals. And I went through them piece by piece, and I thought, well, this was, really wasn't the creation of one man and now the embellishment of the far left. This was uh, stuff that had previously happened in history in very similar kind of movements to what we're describing. And then this, uh, and then they were just encapsulated in these points. That's right. And I think that what, yeah. uh, what Glenn Tate was doing here is I think he was doing the same thing. How have things been before? See, Mike, when I do writing, and I say, this is what's going to happen next. Because I've said, okay, you had takedown of economy, make America weak. That's the COVID misapplication of the lockdown. Then you're going to have manufactured race riots uh, and all kinds of divisive principles designed to uh, uh, fracture the country and create an element of hostility that will lead to the next part, which is uh, casualties, mass casualties. And I know that DHS and FBI are preparing for those as we speak, as well as assassinations. And this is what Celeste Salam has also talked about. Yes. And then, of course, then you have open rebellion, a real civil war. And when we're destabilized enough, that's when the Chinese and the U.N. comes in. Though that That's something that I created. And I just gave you the superficial thumbnail sketch here. But see, this is what's happened in history before. I didn't I didn't uh, predict this accurately. I'm just using the history of our of our, our world to say this is what's coming. No, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And I was just saying that tongue-in-cheek, that he's a Nostradamus. But um, I think you're right. I think he knows history, and he knows how these cycles come back. But you've really hit on something huge. Years ago, you started talking about the, the UN occupation agenda of America. And even I admit, when you first started talking about it, it was hard for people to see how it could come true. Now, it's, it's evident. They get rid of the police. Cities collapse into anarchy. Uh, all of the officials step down and then guess what Barack Obama says bring in the UN for peacekeeping missions because there are too many murders happening in let's say Minneapolis or wherever so that's it the police stand down is an effort to call for UN occupation of America and the question is will Trump ever assert his authority I mean this is one of my complaints about the president right now is that he has all this authority and he's not asserting it he he has executive power he is the commander-in-chief. He should have gone in and cleaned up the situation in Seattle by now. And, and he should have arrested the mayor. He should have arrested the governor, frankly. He's charged him with treason. But he's not using that power. So the question is, will he ever assert his power? Or is, is he just going to roll over while the nation gets just bogged down into you know UN occupation? Well, the UN occupation was easy for me to call, particularly in December of 2016 when Barack Obama's last actions included the signature of the Kigali principles, which gave the UN the right to go into any signatory country with other signatory countries with military force to make it the way they wanted to make it. And then, of course, signing us on to the UN Small Arms Treaty, which effectively would take away guns from everybody. And when I looked at those two things, I said, how could we think 
think this is not coming? And then, of course, I knew what was happening at the border uh, in Jade Helm 16, as well as the Central American invasion that was taking place then. DHS people were going to Border Patrol holding areas where they were ordered to hold MS-13 together in groups of 8 to 12, and, and, and then the UN would come in with DHS and tell the Border Patrol, you release these guys. I got told this story over and over and over during those four months and I said well they're trying to put assassins in the country that's MS-13 the UN's yep. involved and then the UN I'll give you one other one Mike that really cemented this for me it was April of 2019 the Washington Times came out with an article and they quoted the UN as saying they had just completed training of the new Mexican National Guard newly formed for humanitarian purposes on an international <laughs> scale so how could we think anything different was going to happen given those given those elements well you you just nailed it you see that term humanitarian that's going to be the justification to come in and overthrow america they're going going to say that america is racist and that the president is racist and that gun owners are racist therefore the u.n has to come in to reestablish humanitarian equality and justice so they've set the narrative now imagine i think they're going to release another bioweapon Maybe they've already done it. Imagine another bioweapon, maybe even more aggressive, combined with more civil unrest, the police backing down, uh, international threats against America, deep state threats, and a food collapse on top of that. This is what's coalescing here for the fall. It's going to be the most chaotic time in in our lifetimes, for sure for for america and and do we even survive through this intact does the united states of america exist five years from now as it's currently structured i think the answer is no will we have an election um i i suspect we will have an election at this point but i don't think that it's going to be mm, embrace i mean the election will be chaotic and it will be very easy for either side to challenge the election. So this is going to be where the media just pulls a hoax. They're just going to Jesse Smollett the election and claim that they win. They're going to go full Smollett with the fake news and just claim they won. Like George Bush versus uh, Al Gore. Um, boy, that was a crooked election. And uh, <laughs> and then you, you you look at, and I do agree with you, I think the mainstream media will play a big role. But there's something else that, that I will um, um, say is going to happen. When Obama was running, ACORN was intimidating white voters. Do you remember that? Yes. And I think we're going to see this in, uh, in big numbers with these radicalized groups today that are operating. I think it's going to be dangerous in some areas for white people to go and vote. Well, I, I agree with you. And, and the other thing that's relevant here is now we know the U.S. Supreme Court is made up of a bunch of treasonous traitors, including the new justices, you know, uh, Gorsuch and, and Kavanaugh and you know, Roberts has long been a pawn of the liberal left as well. So this whole escapade of trying to get conservative justices and so-called originalists, right, it's an utter failure. These people are just defending the state. And if it comes down to it, they will rule against Trump. So we can't even trust the Supreme Court. We can't trust the media. We can't trust mail-in voting. You know, we can't trust any institutions anymore. We certainly can't trust the CDC or the WHO or the UN. And these are the elements of 
a revolt of a civil war. So if the election comes in for Joe Biden, I think that I think that this country erupts into a civil war. And if it comes in for Trump, I think the left goes all out with with you know full weather underground government buildings being bombed and everything else they're going to do. I agree with the last part of what you said. Absolutely. The left will never accept the election and will descend into a serious Bosnian civil war. I agree with you. On the first part, though, I don't see any signs of life from most conservatives. I think they'll roll over and just allow their butts to get kicked and they'll end up in the FEMA camps, like Celeste Salam says. Well, you may be you may be right. I might be overly optimistic, <laughs> but you're, you're right. I mean, if there was going to be resistance against the radical left, we should have seen more signs of life by now, and we haven't. So you may be right. And and well, there's also another element. Steve and I are getting different information, Steve Quayle and I. Um, I've, been, I've talked to two, no, actually now three people from the Pentagon through mutual third-party sources I know, and they tell me two of the three said that they think that Trump is supported. One said 80-20, the other said 70-30 by Pentagon officials, but the radicals are the ones speaking out, the Obama appointees. And I thought, okay, well, if push comes to shove, um, we're looking at uh, the Pentagon's going to come down on the side of Trump. Steve thinks it's 70-30 um, the other way. Um, what do you think? I, I think that Trump's got the Marines with him. I think that the Air Force is another matter, but Trump's got the Navy and most of the Army. I mean, the guys I talk to say that, you know, by far the middle level um, uh, military personnel are pro-Trump. It's only a few at the very top that are anti-Trump, and those people will be ignored if it all comes down, you know? But uh, the question is, what will China do in all of this? Because China really has a, a key, they could make a key play here in trying to hurt America through a, a, a currency war, for example, or a kinetic war. They could actually rally the military behind President Trump. So it brings up the interesting question, uh, would Trump and the military industrial complex actually favor war with China before the election? I think the answer is yes. Yeah, I, and, and China will move in when America is destabilized enough where it can't fight back. Um, do you think that the bringing home of the 10,000 troops from Germany, from NATO, is, is one, a big middle finger from Trump to Europe because they don't pay their bills? But number two, uh, he thinks he's going to need these troops at home? Well, all, yeah, but also I think it's a it's a de-escalation against Russia because uh, Trump knows that Russia feels surrounded by U.S. assets, uh, uh, missiles, and and troops, you know, all along the various border regions of Russia, and I think Trump is trying to de-escalate that because I think Trump anticipates war with China, doesn't want war with Russia at the same time. It just has the bonus effect of giving the finger to the uh, NATO countries who don't pay their bills. So you know. I support in every way possible giving as many fingers as possible to NATO and the European Union, for sure. You know, we should spend money protecting America's interests, not protecting a bunch of communist European Union puppets of the globalists. 
Yeah, when we were making money off the Marshall Plan following World War II, NATO made some sense. And then you had the rise of communism, so NATO made more sense. It makes no sense today. Absolutely right. no sense whatsoever. And I totally agree with you. We need to bring our assets home. But I think we're going to have to hunker down because you look at Europeans. I mean, the European Union is weighing in against Trump on behalf of Black Lives Matter and Antifa. And I'm saying, are you kidding me? You're supposed to be our allies and you're legitimizing rioting and firebombing and all that goes with it. And and there's they're, they're turning on Trump. And I'm thinking, why would we even want to defend that? Let, let the Russians take him over as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Most of Europe has really descended into extreme liberalism and socialism. You know, well, they've been in that mode for many generations, some countries. Uh, and it's it's not going to end well for them. But the truth be told, the global debt situation isn't going to end well for any country. One of the questions I have is, uh, who's going to collapse first, China or the United States? And with you know, both both countries have had to spend enormous amounts of money with central bank money printing to try to cover the economic implications of the uh, lockdowns from the coronavirus. So the and of course the lockdowns were weaponized by Democrat governors in the United States in order to cause maximum economic damage. You know, technically all we needed was 28 days. Period. That was it. Should have been over in one month, but they extended it as a punitive uh, weapon against Trump. But the U.S. debt situation is very bad. There's going to be a day where the dollar literally collapses. You wake up, you can't access your bank accounts because all the banks are frozen. But China's going to have a day like that too. And the question in my mind is which one comes first? Because whoever, wherever that happens first, that's the country that loses first. I mean, that's, that's the country that loses this trade war. So China's on the verge of economic collapse, but it's hard to see because they have so much secrecy and so many controls about their media. The U.S. is on the verge of economic collapse from all the money printing. But since the dollar is currently the world, uh, you know, petrodollar, global reserve currency, they can, they can kick that can way farther down the road than we ever would have imagined. So I'm hoping that China collapses first. Yeah, but I think before they collapse, that's when they've got to start the war. Probably so. Yeah, you, you're you're right, because that's when when desperate times hit a country. That's what they do is they they declare war, they launch a war. I have another hypothesis I want to run by you. Sure. China looks like they're just playing mischief games in India. That's resulting in minor deaths. And India is upping the ante now by telling the field commanders they can fire to shoot to kill the Chinese who've uh, trespassed into their country. Uh, I'm kind of of the opinion that China is going to make some bold moves in that part of the world because they're trying to draw us in and weaken us. I mean, if they're not doing that, what do you think their purpose is for what they're doing? I think you're right that China is... is running a, a number of provocation maneuvers and they've been doing the same thing with their aircraft uh, near Taiwan you know for the past several months as well uh, I don't think that the India China border is where things are, are going to get bad I still think it's going to be the the naval it, uh, situation there with the Straits of Taiwan and and also China's threats against Taiwan that, that that's where things are really going to get ugly probably soon yeah I made a prediction on a podcast I said the, the it'll be on when they the Chinese blockade the entire South China Sea. <laughs> exactly. Right. Which, which is China basically saying to the U.S., what are you going to do about it? 
you know, that's that's their stance. And the answer, well, I guess it could be a variety of answers, but it reminds me of big tech and how Facebook and Twitter just censor the president and then say, what are you going to do about it? You know, this is a world run by left wing bullies and bullies do whatever they want and then tell you, what are you going to do about it? And so far, the answer has been nothing because nobody's willing to stand up for America, it seems. You know, is America going to find a, a spine at some point and actually defend itself? I'm not sure. But that's you're, the question for our time. You're kind of delving into the last question I wanted to ask you. And um, is there a way back for America? Well, yeah, there is. America has incredible resiliency and incredible passion. And we have a Second Amendment. So we've got literally 500 million guns in this country and uh, quite a quite a number of millions of people who know how to use them right so that's something that all the previous communist revolutions did not encounter uh, it was very easy for mao and maoists to mass murder chinese citizens because nobody was armed you know it was easy for the stalinists to kill all the opposition because nobody was armed so the fact that we are armed is a game changer, credit to the founding fathers. And this is why we absolutely must keep our guns. We must get more guns. We must sight them in, get more red dots, get more infrared illuminators, get more night vision, you know, learn how to run all the weapons that we have, because that's the last defense against this. And I have a feeling we're going to need it. Yeah, I did a podcast this morning um, based on dreams, feelings, observations. And I said, America, you need to act as if it's going to be every man for himself. That's right. Because when those Chinese come across our northern border and they will come out of Canada, when they come out of the embedded holes that they've come in through the Long Beach port and where they've been installed in the inland ports and posing as workers in solar energy farms, and they come across our southern border, uh, the military is not going to be able to cover all of it. And it's going to be up to the militias. It's going to be up to a lot of us to defend ourselves. Yeah. That, that's what it's really going to come down to. Look, no one's coming to save you. There will be no police presence to save you. The National Guard will not save you. If you're a member of the Guard, you should just form up in a local militia. Because that the, the militia is going to be the only group that does anything. Yeah, I know. It, well, you look at L.A. Uh, Garcetti wants to do away with the police, and he's already in the process of doing this, and having unarmed people go to the scene of a crime. And that's real smart. Blood scripts have a war. <laughs> yeah, We're going to send right. unarmed negotiators, and that's going to work real well. But here's the point, and I've said this. The taking down of the police is not punishment for the murder of George Floyd. It is basically taking away America. America's first responders against any kind of an attack. That's right. And that, that's yep. what it is. It's a national security issue. And, and I, f I feel, Mike, like I'm the, one of the few people that's calling it for what it is. This is taking away our right to defend ourselves. We neuter the National Guard. We do away with the police. It's up to us now. There's no barrier between us because the, co the cops are always like 9-11. When 9-11 happened, who was the first on the scene? The police. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about the, the, the whole structure of police. They're, they're a delegation of the individual responsibility of self-defense. People who live in a city decided we don't all need to learn how to run AR-15s. Let's have a group of people. We'll call them police, and they'll carry the firearms and stop bad people for us. So it's a delegation. Well, if the police are standing down, all that means is that that responsibility collapses back to the, the decentralized people, where everybody needs to carry a gun. Everybody needs to 
know how to run an AR-15. Everybody needs a chest rig. So, I mean, that that's the obvious conclusion from this. And by the way, every anti-gun argument is is over. There, there is no more anti-gun argument anymore that stands up to this, because you dial 911 and the operator says, sorry, we're not serving your city blocks. <laughs> like, I know, I know. Oh. And, and we're on our own. Um, right. Uh, we, could, we could go on for hours with this discussion, but unfortunately, we're out of time. But Mike, before we go, uh, I want to give people who aren't quite as familiar with you as maybe they should be a way to follow your good work. Well, thank you, Dave. It's always great to join you. My main website is naturalnews.com, and I'm also the founder of brighteon.com, which is the free speech alternative to YouTube, and it's exploding in popularity with uh, over 50,000 users there now and growing every day. So check it out at brighteon.com. Mike, always a pleasure to have you on honor for you to join us here on the Common Sense Show. Look forward to having you back. You too. Thank you so much, Dave. Be safe. Thanks, Mike.